Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. week three of our series called guardrails um if you learn nothing more from this series you'll at least learn what a guardrail is a guardrail uh by definition really is just a system it's right it's like they're on bridges they're on curvy roads in the mountains hopefully they're in all kinds of different places but they're a system designated to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas right like this is what we know you drive around you want a guardrail. When you go over a bridge, you want a guardrail because God forbid you're playing with your phone or you're texting and you veer off just a little bit. If there were no guardrail there, you could be off the bridge or off the mountain or into all, you could be off into the playground, you know, where the kids are playing. And so whatever it is, you want guardrails around you. And the point of guardrails is really, um, they're not in the danger zone, right? They don't put guardrails in the playground. They put it on the outside of the playground. And the idea is that if you bump into a guardrail, it's going to do a little bit of damage, but way less damage than if you actually went over the bridge, over the mountain, or into the playground, or wherever it is. And so what we've been talking about is this idea that guardrails really are a brilliant idea for drivers, but what we need is personal guardrails, like because we're driving through life, we're moving through life, and we know that like sometimes we get distracted, sometimes we're playing with our phones, sometimes we miss the point, sometimes we're just not good drivers, and, and we don't make great decisions. And so what we want to do is create personal guardrails so that what happens is, is that in life, if I have a personal guardrail, that if I bump up against it in my conscience, meaning I bump up against a rule, uh, a principle, a guideline that I've given myself, that if I bump up against it, something in my conscience goes off and I'm like, whoa, 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 that can't be good, that can't be healthy. And it's not that you're over the edge yet, it's that you created, and, and really what the Apostle Paul said this is all guardrails are really just wisdom. So don't ask the question like, was well, that a sin or not? Is that, quit trying to figure out stuff as a sin or not. That's not the point. Paul said really, really brilliant people don't live by whether it's a sin or not. They live in the realm of like, where is it wise? And so for example, like for instance, if you had an issue being a workaholic, you would create guardrails to say, okay, I know I'm not gonna um, be away from home more than this many days per year, per month. I know I'm gonna make sure that 6 p.m. is my guardrail, that if I'm not hitting the door by 6 p.m., something's wrong. I'm starting to cross those lines. And it's not that 6 p.m. is a sin, right? There's nothing... Well, I guess it could be. Remember when mom always said nothing but the devil's out past midnight? So, I mean, at some point, it's the, it maybe it is. But there's nothing sinful about 6 p.m. It's just, it's just your personal guardrail. I know for me, I was, I was looking at, um, you know, uh, my health, and I realized that I was getting into a shape, and that shape was round. And so I decided I'm, I, I, I need to, like, because I have this thing where I want to eat, like, an, an entire meal at, like, 10 o'clock at night. And I was like, that's not a good idea. And so I'm like, okay, I can't do that. It's just a guardrail. Is there something wrong with you? You know, eat, how many of y'all back in the day used to eat ice cream while watching Biggest Loser? You ever did that before? So um, I don't think Biggest Loser's even on anymore, but that was, a, any, anyway, you don't want to be doing that. that that's not, that, so there's a guardrail. There's just something wise to keep you from going over the edge. But, 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 everybody say last week. How many of you were not here last week? You were not here? You're right. Okay, you need to go, get, you need to go watch, okay, because we talked about sex last week. And um, that's always fun and entertaining. So, um, the, the reason why that was so important, that was week two, was because really, if you look, that's probably the most important area of our life where we need guardrails. It really is. And, and the reason why is because the Apostle Paul makes mention of this idea that he says sex is unlike any other sin. Like all sin's not good for you. All sin is you falling off of a cliff into something dangerous or bad for your life. But sexual sin, that's different. And the reason why is because most sin, this is what he said. I didn't say this. He said this. He said all sin is outside of your body, but sexual sin's inside of your body, and it does something to your soul differently. So it's not that God hates sexual sin more, more than other sin because it's something somehow different. It's that it harms you more. 
That's the big difference. And if we would find what the guardrail, so this is what the apostle Paul said the guardrail was. He said the guardrail for, for, uh, for your sexuality is this word called, everybody say flee. He says, like, just run. Like, the, the best thing that you can do is set a bunch of guardrails that prevent you, and then whenever you, you get next to that guardrail, you got to run. That's, that's the key that he said. And he just said, hey, look, you need to protect this thing because it's so important. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're made in the image of likeness of God. God dwells inside of you. This is a really big deal. And it's more harmful to you than any other thing. So you need some guardrails. And it's all based on wisdom. What keeps me in this place? Because really what guardrails do, let's just think about it like this. What guardrails do is they set me up for the best life possible by preventing disaster. Like some things are just good because they're good, right? But how many of you know like your life can be going along fantastically, but if you veer off hard enough in just one single area of life, it can be so harmful that that one area going off the deep end, it affects everything. And if you've ever been there, you know what I'm talking about. You know you could have made a disaster in just one single arena or category of life, but you go hard enough over a cliff, it will affect everything. So you need a guardrail. Now, everybody say this week. This week, so if I was going to tackle the toughest thing last week, this is the second toughest thing, right? So I'm just diving into the deep end. I apologize. And you know what? You ever feel like, you ever feel like your life is in harmony and everything seems to... You, you, like, you pull up to the mall and you're like, there's a spot right there. My life is in this perfect... You know. I normally feel like my life is in harmony with God. I always feel like I fall into these beautiful divine accidents where God just aligns things up. And I'm like, oh, how cool how God aligned that. I am so off that right now. And here's why. It's, it's because I was... We established, number one, pastor's appreciation is just something somebody else made up. I don't know who made that up. It's a brilliant idea, but somebody made it up. And so I didn't pick when this was. Somebody else picked it, and I didn't come up with that. And so that was obviously made in advance and a date somebody else did. And then the other one was baby dedication last week was a date that we put way in advance. And then I choose this series called Guardrails, and I didn't think about baby dedication or pastor appreciation. I just didn't even occur to me. I wasn't thinking about it. I was only thinking about my sermons and studying the Bible and all that stuff. And what, I, what, what occurred to me was this, Last week, going into the Sunday, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to talk about sex on the week of baby dedication. There's going to be all these families. You brought grandma to see little baby get christened, and here's Todd talking about sex. So I just want you to know, I was like, you know what? I don't care how uncomfortable. I'm just going to drive through that uncomfortableness. So today is past appreciation day. And so normally, whenever I talk about money, I always say stuff like, hey, don't worry. You can put your wallet away. There's no second offering. There's a second offering. So I want you to know, like, I'm sorry, I am out of touch. I, there's no parking space in front of the building, and I'm off harmony. So um, I'm diving into the second hardest topic that any preacher deals with. And it's, so like, last week was sex, this week everybody's in money. So I believe that you need guardrails in the area of money. It's just something that's, that's true of our lives. And here's why I know this to be true is because I counsel people. And when you counsel people enough, you get this kind of like, big picture of like what everybody deals with. And here's what you need to know. This is what you may not know that I know because I counsel a bunch of people is that about 90% of your issues are related to sex and money. If I boil them all down, if we dig down deep enough, we just, most stuff in life is connected to sex and money. It just is. And the Bible has a ton to say about those subjects. And if we were honest, if there's any areas of, of biblical teaching that we disregard the quickest or most often, it's in the area of sex and money. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that amazing that 
maybe, just maybe, there's, there's a spiritual enemy that if there's any arena that he would like to keep us blinded in, that it would be in those two areas because everything really flows out of those two areas. And, and here's the other part that I know. This is just the, the, the ripple effect, the ramifications of it all. If we really analyzed our deepest and greatest regrets, they usually are connected to sex and money. Isn't that amazing how this all connects? So today we're just going to dive into the deep end of how we look at money and how God wants us to look at money and how, what if we put in some incredible guardrails about this idea? Now, funny enough, before I be continuing, I just need to make sure that we're clear on this. And I'll go ahead and throw sex back into the category so we can be clear on that one too. Is again, going back to the idea of sex and money, that our beliefs normally, or I think that they're misbeliefs, but normally the way we look at sex and money is we normally have these kind of gut feelings, these perceptions that the church is against sex and the church just wants my money. I know my dad felt that way. My dad was like, oh yeah, they got the Lottie Moon offering this week. They just want more of my money. And so, is that funny? Anybody knew what Lottie Moon is? You had to be bad just to know what Lottie Moon is. Anyway, it doesn't even matter. So, so I, I just know like that was the reaction of my dad growing up in churches. Like, oh, they just want my money. Or, or depending on if, how, how, what kind of style of church you grew up in, the church was against sex. Like we believe that there was no co-ed swimming and ladies, you need to wear a dress while you swim. And so that was a real thing and I never did it. But anyway, it's probably obvious I never wore a dress. I was, I was trying to say that I was never part of a church. Just forget it. So, so these are, but like, these are our general beliefs when it comes to second money, sex and money that we, we just think, oh, well, the church is against sex and the church just wants my money. But the truth is this, this is the real truth, is that actually God created sex. Like you need to go ahead and like uh, put that in your spiritual pipe and smoke it. God was sitting around one day. God was sitting around one day. and was like, I got this brilliant idea. I'm going to do this with their bodies and things and marriage. And it's going to be awesome. And the angels are like, hey, what are you doing? He's like, don't even worry about it. You can't do this. And so. God created this thing called sex, and it was meant to be beautiful and wonderful. And if you read the Bible, it was obviously for things like procreation, because he says the whole thing, be fruitful and multiply. And that was really the first thing he told them to do, because I think he knew that they'd two people naked in the garden to figure stuff out eventually. And, so, and, then, and then you read the, the, the book of, uh, of the, it's called the Song of Songs. or the, uh, Anyway, it's this, basically this really crazy book that Solomon wrote, and it's all about, anyway, it's good. You have to be married to read that book of the Bible. And so... Um, and then the Apostle Paul talks about the idea that, that it was created for intimacy between people. So anyway, it was just, it was a really good idea. It was God created it, and it was awesome, and he created it to have certain ramifications and guardrails, though, and if you would follow his wisdom, that it would be a beautiful and wonderful thing. But anyway, but the second one is truth, is that God doesn't need your money. Did you know that? I, I, you ever thought about that? Does God need your money? That sounds stupid when you say it out loud, don't you? Like, God doesn't need your money. God's not, God doesn't even work in, you need money, right? Like you need money to pay the bills, you need money, the, the, the kingdom needs money to accomplish kingdom goals and things, but like God doesn't need your money. So I just want to put you at ease, is that, okay, God created sex and he doesn't need your money. Are we all clear on that? So now we can just jump off that diving board into this whole new world of what do we need to do when it comes to guardrails and our finances. So I want you to look at this scripture with me real quick here. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus says something so profound, and here's what you need to know before we even read this, is that Jesus says a ton about the subject of money, but, but, everybody say but. Most of it doesn't actually have to do with money. It has to do with something deeper than that. So it's not about money, it's not about dollars and cents, it's not about take an offering. It, it, as a matter of fact, Jesus never took an offering. You ever thought about that? Read the whole thing. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Jesus never takes an offering. One time he put a, pulled a coin out of a fish, and that was weird. But other than that, 
No offering. So Jesus is, it, Jesus is looking so much deeper than the, under the surface and un, underneath and in your heart and in your soul. And he uses words like serve and love and devotion. He, he digs so much deeper underneath it. And what he's getting you to see is, is that money is on the surface. There's something in our heart that we want to be very, very aware of. And so this is what he says. And we'll read, we'll read a few verses today. The Bible says this. Jesus is speaking to a, a group of people. It's on the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and you will love the other. There's that word. Or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So he just throws out this, what, wait a minute, where, where, where did this come out in the sermon? It was like out of nowhere because Jesus covered so many things in the Sermon on the Mount. And what he's trying to get you to see is that there's something that's going to compete for your heart. And he says this, I need you to get this. That the number one thing that will compete for your heart, to sit on the throne of your heart, to be the master of your heart, and he uses that word master, and it's not this word like boss, it's like, no, 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 like it owns you. There's a master of your life, and he doesn't say things like, hey, you need to choose between God and Satan. He doesn't say that. Nobody is ever like, God, I think Satan's on the throne of my heart today. Nobody's really struggling with, do I go worship Satan today or do I go worship God today? I don't know. I mean, if that's your struggle, that's a different sermon series. We can pray for you after. But generally speaking, that's not our issue. Our issue is something much more subtle. It's something much more uh, carefully crafted, much more you know, uniquely framed in our mind in the way we words things. He said, the thing that is competing to sit on the throne of your heart is not God and the devil. It's God and money. He goes, there's something about your devotion, your serving, your, all these different things that you're going to see. And here's, here's what you really need to see is that when we think about guardrails, track with me here. When we think about guardrails, we think about being on a path and we want guardrails to prevent us from going off of, of a deep end. And then when it comes to money, there's two deep ends. There's two ditches. There's two cliffs. There's two things you can fall into. So the first thing that you're going to fall into is either consuming or hoarding. You ever notice that? Now, if you're married, this is, let's do this quick here. If you're married, more than likely in your marriage, there's a, we call them a spender and a saver. How many of you got that? One's a spender, one's a saver. Yeah, yeah. And God brought you together so that you could refine each other, apparently. And funny enough, the younger you are when you get married, the more likely it is that you have a spender and a saver. And if you get married later in life, the more likely it is that you're both hoarders or both. Think about that one. Anyway, so. So he's, basically what you'll see is that in life, you have the ability to spin, 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 rack up credit card debt, want, 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 lust, 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 need, need, need. I've got to have all these things. That's why you always have the newest phone, the, the best car, the most expensive watch, the, and I need more stuff. I want to consume, 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 because that's just, that's my flow. I like to spend money. Anybody out there just, it's fun. It's like a sport. You go to the mall and you see what you can accomplish in one day, right? And so... Or, or maybe you're on the other end, and the other ditch is, everybody say hoarding. And hoarding just basically says, oh, no, we don't spend, we save. We save. And if you're married and you got that, there's conflict, right? Because one of y'all spending, and the other one's judging. <laughs> so if you're a hoarder, you're like, no, we need to save. We need to, what if I get sick? Or what about when I retire? And what about this? And what about that? And what about this? And what's funny is, is that consuming is really rooted in a lot of like lust, like desire, like I really want. Oh my God, I almost fell. Thank you, Jesus. 
I almost embarrassed myself. Um, okay, okay, team, we gotta, we gotta fix this so I don't end up on a YouTube fail video. So, <laughs> so when you're consuming, it's usually driven by lust, right? Like this desire for more stuff. When you're hoarding, it's driven by fear. Everything about that? You're afraid. You're afraid of what will happen. You're afraid of what you want. You're, you have the scarcity mentality. What if we run out? What if the economy? What if the stock market? What if, what if my 401k? What if I lose my job? What if I, and you live in just fear and anxiety and worry. And both of them are rooted in a little, let's just, both of them are rooted in a little word that we don't ever like to really think about or talk about. They're all rooted in greed. I want you to think about this. Because greed basically says, if you want like kind of like a quick, easy definition of greed, greed just says, that's my stuff, and it's for me. That's what greed says. That's my stuff, and it's for me. That's my, so it's mine to spend. It's mine to hoard. Either way, that's mine. It's mine to do whatever I want to with. It's, it's ultimately, and greed is driving it. Because, see, when you consume, you're saying, I want it now, Right? Like, I want that new phone, that new car. I want to live in that neighborhood. I want those new things. I want, I want it now. When you hoard, you say, I want it later. Right? Like, I want it for me. Just in case. For something later. Either way, I want it. I either want it now or I want it later. And it's rooted in this idea of greed. And here's what's crazy. I have been, I was counting this up the other day. Somebody asked me. I've been working full-time in a church occupation of some kind for 18 years now. In 18 years of me counseling, talking, praying, meeting with people, or just other pastors on staff or, or whatever, depending on where I was at in life, I have never once had anybody come to me and say, Pastor, will you please pray for me? I'm greedy. <laughs> yeah, I've never had it. Never once has somebody said, you know what? You know what I did the other day? I greeted. I was just, I was at the mall. I, just, I felt it. I greeted. I did it right then and there. Um, <laughs> Greed is one of those subtle sins that really is not a thing that you do, it's a thing that you become. You have to be aware of it because it's very hard to see in the mirror. Like you can't, you're ever looking like, I'm greedy. I, I would love to hear you, like your story, if you could say, yeah, no, I remember one time I just looked in the mirror, I'm like, you're greedy. Um, because most of the time when we have these pictures of greedy, we think of like maybe this, this rich old Scrooge McDuck character that's just hoarding and hoarding and you know, whatever, like he's greedy, he's stingy, he's whatever. But, but in reality, it manifests itself in so many different ways. And we have such a hard time seeing it in the mirror. We have a hard time seeing and thinking it's, we even rephrase it. We're like, no, 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 I'm just a saver. I'm just cautious. I'm just careful. We have all these different ways of kind of thinking about the way we hoard or the way we can, well, I just think you need to live life right now in the moment. No, you think you need to spend all of your money and some other people's money because that's why it's all on credit. It's not yours. All in the moment so you can live. Either way, it's rooted in this idea of greed. And then this is, this is the crazy part. What in essence you do by saying, I want it now, or if you say, I want it later, if you are a consumer or you're a hoarder, the essence of greed says this, it's mine, God, it is not yours. Now, you would never say that because it just sounds weird. But in essence, that's what we end up saying. God, it's mine and it's not yours. And you don't like anybody to tell you what to do with your money. If you, if you ever feel the uncomfortableness of maybe somebody encouraging you to give or to be generous or to do something or to put, you know, like, and you feel that thing tighten up, recognize something might be inside of you. That, that it was almost like somebody just pushed on a bruise and you're like, ooh, something's there. What it says is, is that, God, this is mine. I got this. You do your own thing. I'll call you if I need you. It's almost like, you know, like you have a dog and you're like, stay, stay, 
And you just, oh, I'm going to go over here. You stay. Quit barking at the mailman. And you just keep moving away from God. But here's, now here's what else I know about you. As much as you say stay to God in the moment, as soon as crisis hits, you say, oh, can you come over here? Because if you ever lost your job, if you ever lost a lot of money, if you've ever been underneath financial pressure, if you ever had a deadline, if you ever had a crunch, if you ever had something that put heat and pressure on you, then you're all of a sudden like, God, please, we want to buy the house, or God, please, we want to sell the house, or God, I need a job really bad, or God, I really want that promotion. Or it's like, and as soon as we need God, we start inviting God back into the financial mix of things, don't we? So here's the deal. We need guardrails to keep us from diving over into the world of consuming or diving over into the world of hoarding, depending on who you are and how you flow. And here's the guardrail. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. The guardrail against greed is to reprioritize your financial world with God at the top. Now, I'm going to break this down in a second, but this is, in essence, that's just kind of rephrasing and rethinking about what he said. He said, you cannot serve both God and money. You're going to love the one and hate the other, love one and despise the other, devoted to one and hate the other, serve the one. Like, you just need to see it's a heart issue. We're not even into dollars and cents yet. Maybe we'll bring that up in a second here, but it's a heart issue. You're going to be devoted to one. So what you have to do is, is you have to make a conscious effort. Remember, guardrails are something that you actually put into place. I never meet people that say, I accidentally put a guardrail right? No, they were like, no, I need to put this here to keep me from going over there. And so a guardrail is where you make a conscious decision to say, what are the priorities of how I treat my money? And here's what you're going to see is this, is that this, I'm just going to give it to you. This is the priority. This is the one, two, three. This is how you should look at your finances. It's give, save, live. That's it. You're like, Todd, you probably spent hours this week coming up with a sermon. And that's what you came up with? Give, save, live. Give, save, live. Now, now let's just real quick, the way the world typically does it is the opposite, right? So if you're a consumer, we were talking about consumers earlier, um, you probably live in the world of live, save, give, right? Because you think, I got a paycheck? I can't wait to go get this. You've got like stuff earmarked and bookmarked and you've got pages with the corners folded down so that you can go find it because that's what I'm going to buy. That's what I'm going to get. You've got your, you get your Pinterest list and there's a whole list dedicated to shopping. Don't, uh-uh, don't you dare act like y'all don't got no Pinterest up in here. Shop. You got your Amazon wish list. Man, y'all better, you need to stop holding out on me. This is church, y'all need to be honest. So, but, but, but consumers live in the world of live, save, give. So what they do is they just spend, 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 spend. And then if they have any left over, maybe they save. And then maybe if I have any left over, or if there's like a really big catastrophe and I just feel really bad and I think I should give, maybe then I will give. That's the, now, now a hoarder would be different. They would reverse it. So what a hoarder would do is they would save first, right? So I'm going to save, 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 save. That's what I'm going to do. And, and because it's mine and I need it for later just in case because, you know, we're all going to fall into the ocean at some point and I'll need some backups. So... So I'm going to save first, then I'm going to live off some, and then again, maybe giving is in there or maybe it's not. And this is the way the world works, and this is why we fall into the ditch of either consuming or hoarding, being driven by our lust or being driven by fear. Either way, we're driven by greed. We're driven by the idea that it is mine, it is for me. But is that true? Or is that just the way we end up living out this life? See, the reality is is that, that God gives us this idea of you give you save, then you live. This is the way of wisdom. 
Now, again, this isn't about heaven and hell. This is about whether God loves you or not. It's not about none of those things. Stop. It's about wisdom. This is about setting yourself up for the best life possible and preventing disaster in your life. And so just so you know, too, like this is something I believe in. This is something I do personally. As a matter of fact, I'll prove it to you. When my son, he's, he's 14 now, when he was a bit younger, um, we actually sat down and began to train him with this idea. So like I remember sitting down and telling him like, hey, I'm going to teach you how to do finance. You got an allowance now. You get this much money per month and you're raking leaves and you're mowing lawns or you're doing, you're chopping wood apparently now. Watch your fingers. So Anyway, you, you got income now. Well, now that you got income, you're in this whole new world, and I want to teach you at an early, early age how you handle your money. And so I taught him how you live by this give, save, live model. As a matter of fact, what was interesting, I went to his room the other day, and even on his wall, still to this day, he has a piece of paper that basically shows you exactly what I'm about to teach you. That what I do with the first of my money is I give, then I save, and then I live off the rest. And this is, again, it's what I taught a 10-year-old. But it's what the Bible teaches. And it's what we've been doing as, as, as a husband and wife. We've been doing for as long as we've been married. We live off this model of we give, we save, and then we live. And, and here's, here's why this is so important. If you do this, because some of you are like, really, Todd? I know somebody said this somebody in their heart. I, you didn't know I heard you, but I heard you. What you said, we were like, really? He's 10, Todd. You're, gonna, you're the preacher, and you're going to take the 10-year-old's money? Well, I'm not taking anything, first of all. It's not like we take these offering buckets, and I run out back and grab the buckets and run off. So, It's not how this works. Let me, let, me ask, let me ask you a question here. Okay, like, do you think I really need his $2? Do you think the church, do you think we pay the bills on his $2? No, of course not. I don't, I, the church doesn't, the church is not surviving because of his $2. That's not why we do it though. Do you, you, you get the principle though? The principle is this, is that if I start something now, if I create these guardrails now, if I get on a path now, it will set me up for the best life possible and prevent me from disaster because what it will teach me and train me to do is this, is that my life is fully dependent upon God always. I look and seek God first always. Before I do anything else, it is God first. When I reprioritize my life, it is God first. So I give first to God's kingdom and those kingdom causes. And that helps me center my life on this this idea of it's God, it prevents me from becoming a consumer first, right? This is why the tithe, when, whenever you hear Bible teachers talk about the tithe, if they teach it accurately, this is what you'll find, is that tithe does not just mean tenth, it's the first tenth. So it's not about like, uh, well, we paid this, and we did the mortgage, and then we paid the car, and we did this, and we got, oh, we got this leftover, I guess we'll give this. God is not looking for your leftovers. He's looking for him to be the first and centerpiece of your financial world. Because it, it orders everything else around you. It prevents you from getting in those disasters. So before I hoard or before I consume or before I do anything else, I acknowledge God first because that's what I love. That's where I serve. That's my devotion. This is so much deeper because it's not about $2. There was an old school movie where there was a paper boy who, who got mad because the guy stiffed him on his $2 and he spends the rest of the movie tracking this guy down and hunting this guy down. And his whole slogan was, my two dollars. <laughs> and some of us live like that. We're like, listen, it's not about that. It's about something so much deeper, so much more profound than that single two dollars. And here's, here's what I want you to see, because I want to look at the next verse. So remember he said those profound, incredible words that you can't serve both God and money? Listen to what he says next. Verse 31 says this. So in verse 31, 
He says, therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? You know what he addresses? He addresses the hoarder real quickly, doesn't he? He's like, hey, I know what you're thinking. And hey, look, if you think that there's something to be fearful of now, you have no idea what it was like to live 2,000 years ago. They didn't have Costco. They have Trader Joe's. They didn't have Safeway. They didn't have refrigerators or freezers or the extra refrigerator and freezer in the garage that's just for backups. They didn't have none of that stuff. They were literally like so dependent upon the rain and the sun and God to provide. And they were, and Jesus is like, hey, look, you don't have to live your whole life in fear and anxiety so that you're tempted to hoard. Again, I want you to think God first. Verse 32 said this, for, he says, for the Gentiles or the pagans, these are the things that they seek after, right? Like, like so a Gentile, when he, the real word was pagan. So he said, the Gentiles are the pagans. He said, he said they just look to the gods. They, and and they, just, they don't believe the gods are for them. They think they have to trick God into the, the gods into doing something for them. He goes, you don't live your life that way. He says, because your heavenly father, everybody say father. Oh, this is so huge. If you'll get this, this will change your life. If you will take everything that God teaches or the Bible teaches and then filter it through, the, uh, the, through this lens right here, why would a loving father say that? Why would a loving father say that? Do you think God's sitting there thinking, you know what, I'm really broke up here in heaven and if, if so-and-so would just give a few more bucks, I'd make it. Of course not. God does not need your money. But he wants your heart and he wants your devotion. And what he said was, he said that the two are attached, that there's a competition going on inside of your heart for who will sit on the throne of your heart. Because here's the deal. Either you will learn to let God be your master or money will master you. And there's only those two options. He said, it's this or that. And everybody falls in that category. Either you're going to be mastered by God or, or money will master you. So that's the question I want you to wrestle with. Am I mastered by money? You know what I learned just recently? I don't know if I told you this or not, but I got a cat. And I don't know how I feel about that right now. I think I've literally had like the worst night of sleep last night and several nights in a row. This cat, this cat wants to get up on my bed at night and get up in my face and lick my face or play with my hair, what little bit I have left. And, and, and he's just this like, and he's so cute. But he wants to mess with me. And what I, I, I realized after like dealing with this night after night after night, I'm like, babe, I don't think I like cats. This is not the same as a dog. Because you can train a dog. You can, you can train a dog. You can take him for a walk. You can tell him to sit, roll over, handshake. You can tell him, you can go get in your crate. You can, you can, you can train a dog and master a dog. That cat has mastered me. I am at the mercy of a cat. Because you can't train a cat. Can you? Please, somebody email me today. Um, I, I don't know what to do. But I feel like this is where we are with our money. It's like, no, no, no. Some of us like... You know, when we put our lives in this order of give, save, live, and God is reprioritized, it's the most important thing in our financial world, we, we end up having a dog. We can master it. Now we can put money in its proper place. But when you live any other method, any other way, whether you hoard first or consume first, you got a cat. Because you don't really have a cat. A cat has you. I'm sorry, I think that might have been partly therapeutic. I had to get that out. <laughs> so he said, for the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father, this is so huge. Your heavenly father knows that you need him. This could change everything. This, is, this, is, this would change everything. Number one, if you would look at everything through the lens of why would a loving dad say that? 
What would a, what would a loving dad who's so wise, I don't know if you ever had that, like that wise old dad or that wise grandpa or just that wise person in your life and they'd say stuff and you're like, that don't make no sense. And then 10 years later, like, God, that's brilliant. This is the way your whole life with God is, by the way. It just depends on how long it'll take for you to figure that out. I didn't know. Oh my gosh, that was so brilliant. That was so wise. That was so true. I wish I would have listened. I had this conversation with somebody just a couple days ago that my dad had given me a bit bit of wisdom, a piece of wisdom, and I ignored it. And then 10 years later, I called him on the phone. And you know what I said? I said, Dad, I'm sorry. You were right, and I was wrong. Because I just think it's good to say that. It feels good in my heart for me to say, I was was wrong, and you were right. My bad. I should have listened to you. And I think your whole life with your Heavenly Father will be lived that way. As much as you distance yourself from God and say, stay, 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 this is mine, 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 eventually you'll get down the road. Because even hoarders will do this. See, this is the difference in consuming and hoarding. If you consume hard enough, fast enough, you'll hit disaster pretty quick. If you hoard long enough, what you'll do is, is that you'll hit rock bottom at the very end of your life or maybe even on the brink of eternity and realize, oh my gosh, I can't believe how badly I missed it. The consumer can actually recover, maybe. The hoarder who lives his whole life that way may never fully recover. But your heavenly father says this. This is is what Jesus is saying. He said, your heavenly father knows what you need of. What if you live life like that? What if you live life with this belief that God knows and he cares? Because see, if you're living in fear and anxiety, you don't know, I don't know that you actually believe that God knows and God cares. I don't know that you believe that. You might believe it up here. I don't know that you believe it in here that God knows and that he cares. Let's keep reading because this is so good. Jesus has so many good things here. So he said, for the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. Next verse says this, but seek first. Everybody say first, but seek first. There's this idea of reprioritizing, meaning there's an order to it. There's a one, two, three, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. What are all the things? Well, all the stuff you've been worried about, all the stuff you need, the stuff that God knows that you need and he cares that you need him, all that stuff, it'll be added to you if you would reprioritize with this whole new world of thinking where you lived in a world where it was give first because that protects my heart. I am giving towards God and his kingdom and those kingdom causes. I am doing that before I do anything. That's why the tithe was first. It wasn't just a percent. It was the first percent. Like this is what you would do in the most practical sense. I get paid twice a month. I don't know what you do if you're on commission, you got to be a little more paying attention. But this is what you do. You would literally say, this is my paycheck. This, is be, this would be the percent that I'm going to give. The Bible teaches 10%. And if you can't do that, start somewhere. Start somewhere. And you say, this is the first thing I'm going to do. I'm going to make sure that I, I order myself, that I align myself, that before I consider my fears or my desires, I will give to God first. And then I'll save. Like, that's, like I just want you to know, like, I'm not telling you don't save. Because saving is just a better word for hoarding, right? Really. I, as a matter of fact, you know what Solomon said? Solomon said, you're a fool if you don't save. So I'm not saying don't save. Don't think I'm up here saying, no, live every moment, spend every penny on. No, 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 that's ridiculous. God said, you're a, or Solomon said, you would be foolish if you spent everything that you ever had. It's just where you go. It's first you give, then you save, then you consume or spend. That's again, it's just a fancier word, right? I just made it nicer when you reprioritize it. Because I think it does. I think when you become a giver first, then you can consider it. No, no, I'm just saving now. I'm not consuming because I've given to God first. And I'm not hoarding now because I've given to God first. And so this is this idea. And so anyway, if you ever wondered too, like I want you to think percentage, not just dollars. Like that's so important because I know if you're anything like me, when you first started out as a kid and you got your first paycheck, you were like, dang, I am a baller. I'm rolling, dude. You were like, 
And then you got older and you're like, wow, I need a lot more. <laughs> and, then, and then do you remember the first time you got that real first paycheck or that real, and those numbers keep getting bigger and you hopefully, hopefully you've been on an upward trajectory in life where you make more now than you did 10 or 20 or 30 years ago or wherever you're at in that journey. And, and you're, you're making more. This is why it needs to be a percentage and not a dollar. I want you to go home and think about what's, what's, a, what's a dollar amount. I'm gonna give $20. Well, that's fine when you make $200 a paycheck. That's not okay when you make you know, $2,000 or $20,000 a page. It's not how that works. So like you're, it needs to be a percentage for you to guard against consuming and hoarding. I'm going to wrap up here just because the time has flown by. I want to get you to like imagine something with me for a second because here's, here's what you need to know. If you look at all the studies and look at how much people give and, and how people do their finances and all that, our church, just so you know, is blessed. I, I want you to know that. I, this is not because like, oh, the church needs more money. What we do for legacy, we want to buy the building. So keep giving big, as big as you can to that. But I mean, generally speaking, the church is healthy. The church is great. Church is in a good place. People ask me all the time, is the church okay? Yeah, the church is great. If, if, if you ever hear me get up and say something, then you'll know. But the church is great. This is not about the church. This is not about me. This is, I, I'm not going to get a raise if you give more, okay? That's not how this works. It does not work that way. But can you imagine for a second, this is where I want you to get your imagination turning and spinning. Because most people don't give faithfully in that percentage realm and that consistently. Most people don't. Most church-going Christians on a Sunday morning nationwide, you guys are a, a generous church, but most churches don't do that. But can you imagine if we did? Just, just picture for a minute. Picture your greatest cause, your greatest concern, the thing that makes you cry a little bit or even pound the table a little bit, the thing that you care about the most. Do you know that the church, if, if, if Christians really captured this idea and created this guardrail and went down this path, do you know what the church could accomplish? We would put the government out of business when it came to social needs. We'd put them out of business. It would be a joke. Because I don't know if you know, like, I don't know that the government's great at handling a lot of stuff anyway. I mean, like, if, if, if you want to take care of people and help people, and I'm telling you, the church would, if the church were equipped and resources to the, to the level that it could be, it would put the government out of business. Can you imagine? We wouldn't have to be taking up special offerings to send down to Houston. No, every church in Houston would be so well-equipped and be so robust and so, so flourishing, and they'd be able to put people up in home. Can you imagine the needs in our community, whether it was, whether it was uh, Kids Against Hunger or whether it was the, the women's shelter or it was Tri-Valley Haven? Or was, we, we could just, we could do any, like taking a, you know what we'd never do? We'd never take a building fund. We wouldn't need to. There wouldn't be a need to take a building fund if people bought into this. I'm telling you, and I told you this last week, if people would trust God in the area of their sexuality, it would change things generationally. It would change things societally and culturally. You know what? If people adopted this belief system about God that he knows and that he cares, that when I give first, save second, and live third, what I do is I invite God into my finances. If I did that, I'm telling you, it could change the world. You imagine what we could accomplish. Imagine what we could do. Imagine what would happen. Imagine the needs that we could meet, the lives that we could change, the people that we could help. It would be unreal. Just telling you. And what I want you to do is not just for the world around you, but even for the world within you. Because Jesus said that this thing is not about dollars and cents. This is actually more about your heart, your soul, your love, and your devotion and this is the guardrail that prevents us from consuming and hoarding. Let's pray this morning. So Father, I pray, God, over these great people, this generous people, God, I pray that God, that they would take this home and wrestle and pray and seek you 
And God, adopt this whole new world of living. Adopt this new mentality. Adopt this way where we don't consume or hoard first. But God, you are first. We seek your kingdom first. You are first and above all else in every arena of our life. And God, in in light of that, we'll be wise. In light of that, we will save and spend as you guide us and your Holy Spirit guides us. God, help us, Lord, to be open, to surrender, to give you our full love and devotion. Lord, that is our prayer today in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Give the Lord a big hand clap this morning, if you would. Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv. 